0: FoosleBit, the podcast where performers talk about their worst shows and I dispense unqualified therapy. I'm your host, Rebecca Porter. This week's special guest is a resident DJ on Soho Radio and 1020 Radio. He's had a career in the music industry, which he's translated into helping artists and fans as the head of UK at TuneCore. Welcome to the show, Gareth Miller. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Welcome. Welcome. So I, I was really excited to chat with you because you are both an artist, but also have translated that into like a, almost like a traditional career job as well.
1: That's that's a good way of describing it. (laughs) (laughs) Like you can describe it as like a failed artist, and then. Oh <laughs> turn into
0: the real shit. no! <laughs> nothing. Nothing is failure on this podcast. It's just <laughs> things that we've tried out. <laughs> so I, so I had some friends who did DJing like in university, um, uh-huh. and then stopped. How did you go from sort of casual DJ to? resident dj on various radio shows to okay i'm going to turn this into like a
1: i'm going to call it a traditional career no, no no i think i think most people would accept that as a terminology um i basically i am the product of the student loan system so basically <laughs> i got student loan and me and my friend he was he, he already dj'd and we were kind of like talking about that we wanted to i wanted to try it and stuff so i used my student loan i probably never told my parents this, but it's all right. It's like 15 years later now, so it's too late for them to do uh, I used my student loan, drove down to this weird house by Heathrow Airport, and it was terrifying. We thought we were going to get murdered and bought some decks. And basically, that was it. I just started DJing. Started, I actually taught myself uh, how to mix using um, Sweet Dreams or right? Eurythmics, and I basically would just play it on loop back, back to each other Uh, so I could learn how to like mix in and out stuff Mm. and then and then we basically the two of us we started doing a radio show at the student radio we did that for a couple of years we got kicked off (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, we we basically did the like the dance show um and we didn't take it very seriously like for us it was just kind of like sitting in a studio get your mates in the studio have loads of beers and DJ and it was Mm. good fun but um Somehow it started getting quite popular and they thought we were like fixing the figures. Um, and when I say popular, I mean like radio popular. So like a hundred mm. people listened to it. So that's you know, like the height of our popularity. Um, but they thought we were like cheating. And we didn't even know how to cheat. Uh, so they told us that they were kicking us off. No, they. T- I think they told us they were going to suspend us or something. And that we had one more show. So we used that show as like this sort of, Horrific agony on call-out session where we basically just got everybody from the university to call in and say stuff about other people. It was a terrible show. I'm not proud of that. But <laughs> <laughs> it was funny at the time. Um, and then yeah, we just carried on DJing. We kind of started a little night at uh, this like tiny bar that could fit like 50 people in. And then we did it for a little bit. And he moved back to Brighton. And this this one we were living in Bristol. And I kind of carried on uh because i stayed in bristol for a bit longer um and then they kind of grew and grew and grew and they you know some of them were really good uh some of them terrible uh but they you know they went from, from like 250 people to two and two thousand people um wow. and if anyone's ever read the book hacienda by peter hook from new order which is topical for later on <laughs> uh, um He describes how they never actually understood how they ever did a good night. It just happened, but they never understood how they ever did a bad night either. And that was basically my promotion career as well. (laughs) It would basically one night be really good and I'd have no idea why. And then the next night be awful and I'd lose loads of money and I'd have no idea why. Um, Yes, I did that for like six years, DJ and ran nights and stuff for six years. Then I kind of, I basically didn't want to be awake any longer uh, at five Mm o'clock in the morning. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a real it really like harms your mental health when every weekend you're doing the same thing for every sleep game. sleep is not-
0: important it's a real Very medical good. importance that we have
1: um but it, it, the thing is is that there was like the dj part of it which was all really good fun but even that like um you know it starts to take its toll when you're doing like drinking all the time and stuff like that and that's a mm. particularly healthy mm-hmm. lifestyle but Then I would also like, once I would finished DJing, I'd go and wait until the clubs kicked out and fly off my own nights. So I was basically like half cut, handing out flyers in the morning. Um, you can tell like a real, real professional. Um, and then, yeah, I just decided I didn't want to be awake anymore. And I wanted to kind of, I've done a, a master's in marketing. It's like the second part of my degree. And so I thought I wanted to do that properly. Uh, and then one day I just said, I'm going to move to London and, I basically found a job in London, moved on the mega bus with a suitcase and a backpack. It was pretty depressing, really. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my mate's house. Um, he lived above the, was it the White Horse in Brixton and mm. it's a pretty horrendous place to live above for a month. Um, but then, yeah, so I, then I did marketing properly for like five or six years in tech startups and different kind of technology companies and stuff. And then... I moved to a company called cobalt which is a sort of a very big technology driven music company uh and then kind of like did that was there for three years and i've you know been at tunecore for the last year and a half and all along the side of that i've always done stuff to do with music you know like even working in music like i run a, a mix series for new djs um i run like digital writing camps with some guys from bbc radio one and from uh point Blank music school and yeah, the radio stuff, I kind of, I'd been working with the radio station for a, a while at my, for my like daytime job. Mm. And then I'm kind of like chucks in a sneaky, what would you reckon to me doing a residency in your radio show? Um, <laughs> and originally it was supposed to be uh, like a late night show where I didn't have to talk and I could just mix or I could just get other DJs to mix for me. Um, and they were like, oh no, no, we like it when people talk on the show. So I thought, <laughs> all right, well, I'll invite it invite a friend of mine down. So this guy runs, a good friend of mine runs Ice and Airwaves and he came down and we chatted about that. And they were like, yeah, we're going to put you on four till six on a Monday. I was like, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Not not Uh, what um, what I was hoping for. (laughs) No. So now my show is like on the Culture Channel and everything. So each of my guests, we talk about like cultural stuff as well as just randomly chatting about music um and then the other 1021 uh I luckily don't have to do any talking on that because that's just purely mixes um but yeah that was a really tangential way of describing where I am now I think
0: <laughs> I love it I love it it um is it Cheryl Sandberg who talks about the career jungle gym as opposed mm-hmm. to the career ladder and I think it's yeah. I I always think of it with like sort of traditional jobs but I think with performance roles as well and performance jobs. It's the same sort of thing of like you start in one thing and then see, actually, I don't like stand-up comedy, but maybe I like improv or start on stage and then realize actually, you know, like music is where you want to go. And there's sort of, there's so many different ways to build that career path of finding the right mix of stuff that you like doing and stuff that actually makes you money.
1: Yeah. And I think I've been really lucky that I've managed to, like, m- more obviously more recently in the past sort of five years or so, like, traverse that really well because I'm definitely a better, like, music exec than music performer. Like, mm. I, you know, I, I, I've been lucky to be, like, quite fortunate to, be, to have a lot of success in my job. Whereas I was a good DJ, but I was an awful producer, like, terrible. <laughs> uh, I said, like, the writing, the writing camp that we run. I sent the guys that uh, I run them with a, a track that I'd made like 10 years ago and I didn't say it was me and <laughs> just got lol and I was like, oh that was me. I made the <laughs>
0: track. <laughs> so like live DJing is more your thing <laughs> than like <laughs> creating albums yeah, for yeah. future consumption.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely um I think the thing for me is like I always I really enjoy the, I mean, part of the reason I love DJing is I love clubs. I hate, mm. well, not I hate dancing, well, I do hate dancing, but mainly because I am so unbalanced and like so, like, I'm not built, I was never put on this earth to be like at the front of a club <laughs> dancing away. Like, I'm the guy who's like hiding in the closet in the corner but it's like, ah, um, <laughs> not in the closet, but yeah. Anyway, uh, and so DJing, DJing for me was like a really good release because I could. Be part of the kind of the, the scene and be involved in everything and like, but you're also like slightly detached from it. Mm. But it's also like a bit of power, like not a power thing, but you know, there's a real, there's a really fun thing that comes from controlling how the music is played in the club. Like you know all those people when you go to a party. Very <laughs> You. <laughs> yeah. but they won't let go of like youtube they're the ones who keep putting tracks on or like sitting on spotify and be like, oh you should listen to this one you should listen to this one and djing is basically just a paid way of doing that, <laughs>
0: that i want everyone to be really sad right now so i'm going to put on a bit of a down. don't exactly. worry about it it's cool
1: <laughs> but there, you know there's like a real lot, like, not i would say like i'm a master at it, but there is a real craft to it to people who have mm. good at it because you know especially you see DJs now where it's coming more often that they're doing like four or five hour slots. Like that is a journey. Like, and you have to, ex- mm. like, there's a whole thing about DJing and and like just playing to people, you know, you can play to people for an hour and just play like really banging music and everyone have a great time. But if you're playing for four or five hours, you've got to craft the journey that starts at one place and ends at another but you've also got to realize that people are going to like drop into that journey at different points. Mm. So if you know if you start playing like 200 bpm GABA 2 hours in everyone's going to be like what the hell is this music and they're going to leave. <laughs> but <laughs> um but yeah, I think that's that's where like part of the, the kind of DJing comes as well as like creating a story.
0: You were talking about DJing and DJing at clubs, and I understand that you have a story for us and our listeners about an interesting experience getting maybe kicked off stage just a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, this seems to be a running theme of getting kicked off stuff, to be honest. Um, that Maybe that should have been the theme. Um, so, like, probably sort of two or three years into after I started DJing, me and the guy who did the radio show and stuff actually this was for was this why we got kicked off the radio show this might have been why we got kicked off the radio show I <laughs> uh, just like now i'm piecing things together this actually was so it was there's a boat in bristol called the Thekla. and it's this big boat and it can fit i think it's like an 800 cap venue or something and basically there's this main room and every monday they would have the, the student night and so they would invite all the djs who did the um like the various different radio shows to come down and dj obviously we would like take that upon us to be like we're going to play the most ridiculous techno for two hours <laughs> rather than like play music that people actually wanted to <laughs> uh, um but no but the way because obviously you know students and i mean this is what going back like 10 12 years ago whatever it was and so drinks were mega cheap Um, Mm -hmm. No one ever had any money. So we got paid in in alcohol, as you do. And we got paid in shots, which is even worse. Um, And so we, you know, we, because of the the style of music we were playing, we weren't on until like two o'clock in the morning or something, which for us is great because it's like peak time. Everyone's up for a lot, you know, everyone's up for it. But that meant that we got there at like 10 o'clock. And so we had like four hours of just solid drinking. With no sort of like hint inside of us of being like, you should probably remember that you've got a DJ for two hours later. <laughs> um, and yes, we we kind of got you know fairly heftily paralytic but enough that we knew what was going on. And we got onto the decks and we were DJing for a little bit. And all of a sudden, it was like I was on the decks and I was I was playing. And all of a sudden, my my friend, who bear in mind is like six foot six, and I'm like five foot ten, so he looks like <laughs> my dad. Just like picked me up and moved me off the decks. Uh and then when you just go and have a drink and you know have a bit of fresh air. And I was just like completely like out of it, just like not really knowing what was going on. So he carries in DJ and I walk, I walk to the back of the club, and there's this guy standing at the back of the club, the back of the room, and he said, Oh, you were just DJing, weren't you? And I was like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, Oh mate, well done for playing Blue Monday. And I was like, Yeah, 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 great, yeah, yeah. Didn't know who he was, didn't know what he was talking about. So just like strolled back to the decks, like <laughs> weaved my way back through. Went to my friend and I was like, did I play Blue Monday? He went, yeah, like three or four times in a row. That's why I took you (laughs) off the decks. (laughs) So so now it's like a thing that's, I mean, granted, I do love Blue Monday by New Order. It's an amazing tune. But uh, it has followed me forever, like, if I'm at a wedding, you know, it's like a close friend or I, my, my own wedding, like someone will play Blue Monday somewhere. Like my, actually funny enough, my wife when we were sitting having breakfast with the baby this morning, played Blue Monday. So it, <laughs> Getting it, you
0: in the it, mindset it, for this.
1: Exactly. It continues to haunt me. Um, but I mean, that's just kind of fairly indicative of most of the, most of my late, late night DJing sets. <laughs> play Blue Monday later times
0: do you still like Blue Monday this is the big question yes
1: yes I absolutely love that track I I think it's probably one of the few tracks that I could listen to over and over and over again and I'll never ever get bored of it mm. I don't I don't know what, what it is about it I don't know why it is I love it so much and also New Order had loads of other amazing well New Order and Joy Division had loads of other amazing songs but yeah just gets me every time <laughs> As soon as you hear it as well, like, you know, like as soon as the, the kick drum comes in, like, you know, that it's Blue Monday as well. So there's like no escaping that song.
0: I love I love the idea of like, I'm picturing you like weaving your way back on stage. Be like, hmm, I think we could all do with some Blue Monday again now.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's probably quite like what I, I would have done. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe like now I think about it, maybe that was part of the reason we got kicked off the radio show. Lack yeah. of originality. I mean, that's really really making really making me take a sort of introspective look at my life. It's just, you know, where could I have gone if I'd not got kicked off radio? Mm-hmm. Sky well, that, the limit.
0: That that leads us very nicely into the next segment, which is whose fault is it anyway? And this wow. is the segment where we we me as an unqualified therapist um, work with you to see why that happened so to help alleviate some of the maybe shame or now that you realize that it's your fault that um you and your friend didn't have massive djing careers uh we probably need to dig into um you know alleviating that feeling so that you can go away from here feeling happy and whole again excellent that. (laughs) so um What came to me while you were talking was, um, potentially too much creativity in the music industry.
1: Because
0: if you know, you've got blue Monday, such a banging tune. Um, and, and then there's all these other artists who are trying to be really creative and coming up with things that no one's ever heard or that are really different. But actually, what would be really helpful is just if all songs sounded very similar to Blue Monday, and then you wouldn't have played the mo- that one song, because you would have just been able to play a whole bunch of songs that were almost exactly the same without it being a real problem. And also, because there is so much diversity in the music industry. Um, that's probably why you were kicked off the show because they were expecting all of that diversity. And you were like, well, no, actually, as you know, now, now that you're a music executive, you can say quite confidently, like, actually what we need is more of the same, less creativity,
1: more put yourself in a box. I mean, the only, <laughs> the only devil's advocate, not defense of me, defense of, of blaming someone else for that situation is that to the outside listener, all techno does sound exactly the same. <laughs> whenever I play it, like, like I love techno, whenever I play it, my wife's just like, what is this? Have you not played this like four times? So, um, so yeah, I mean, I would I would suggest that, you know, I think I think it goes it goes deeper than the industry itself. I think, you know, you have to blame the consumer here as well mm, for just mm-hmm. wanting too much, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's think, a good point. Yeah, I think, you know, the the, the music industry is there to, to provide a service, but it's all about the people. And if the people want different types of music, then I just don't think I'm ready to give it to them.
0: It's too, it's, you know what? I think it's really unrealistic expectations from the consumer actually. And mm. um, maybe, maybe what we need to do is like a big PSA of like, get your shit together, folks. You're going to get three songs this year and that's all you're going to be able to listen to. And you're going to fucking love it.
1: Yeah. It's like a desert island discs, but no one has any choice over it. Yeah. Like <laughs> I'm changing desert island discs.
0: Exactly. And isn't that what DJing is all about?
1: <laughs> yeah, essentially. <yeah>. Yeah. <laughs> Except now it'd be like going out and like weird, like 1984 Tannoys, mm. just the same song over and over again. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that would help actually, if along with sort of a PSA of like, here are your songs for the year. We installed loudspeakers around just around London, for example, and they were constantly playing because we all know, like I know when, um, oh, there was a Black Eyed pea song that came out probably about 10 years ago, like when I was in university, um, that had all of the components of being a really banging tune, but, but like people didn't really like it in the beginning. And so when they, when they played it, they wedged it between really popular well-known song so that people started to get used to it and like they wouldn't yeah. switch off because they knew, like oh this song I really like and that song I really like so they'd hear it and then they'd get used to it so I'm thinking same approach for these three songs that we're going to let people listen to for the rest of the year just sort of constant yeah, playing like them will get them
1: used to it yeah I'm on board with that <laughs> question is what would the three songs be though
0: because mm. mm. mm, mm.
1: I think you've got like mondays obviously a winner
0: well that's i mean but obviously that will be one for the rest of our lives so
1: that's fine yeah but i think you know if it depends what sort of whether you're like a benevolent ben benevolent benevolent, benevolent benevolent how the hell you say that? <laughs> <Benevolent> <laughs> dictator? that was the one <laughs> um dj or someone who's sort of a masochist because you know you could play like really nice songs that people just get into or you could play like what's that shark song baby shark imagine that coming out you know that baby shark song that everyone was
0: i am not oh. into pop culture apparently
1: oh no it's like it's like a kid's song but it, and even this is like even before i had a kid like it was just kind of like took over the world don't listen i now feel bad because i feel like you may go and listen to this 100 like, percent. i'm so going to listen to this after this show <laughs> oh, it's gonna, it's gonna you want to a path that you don't want to go to <laughs>
0: I feel feel like it needs to be some form of like techno deep house kind of music, like the type of music that you can listen to in the background at all times. Like I don't want like Taylor Swift where you have to be involved in it to, to hear it and to, to listen properly.
1: But I think like, let's say for example, you use like, Hey Boy, Hey Girl by Chemical Brothers, also one of the best songs I've made. But that would inspire like some entertaining moments because people get it gets so rooted in people's psyche that people would just be like walking around hearing it and they just have a bunch of people go like here we go and like <laughs> lots of random people in London would just start saying that to each other and you inspire a movement I think that's
0: which could be really fra- you know what after COVID it could be really nice to have something that inspires us to talk to other humans. <laughs>
1: Oh, I don't think I, I don't agree with that.
0: <laughs> like, I, I never want to talk to another human again. I'm not yeah, into it. I,
1: someone said to me, uh, they were like, oh, you know, are you, because obviously I've been working from home since like March last year, like mm. everyone else. Um, and they were saying, oh, are you going to be in London next week? Should we, should we meet up? I was like, why would I be in London? It's like April 12th, everyone's going back to the office. I was like, not me. I am like, not going back to <laughs> Definitely <office>. not. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to get back to London yet. I'm quite happy seeing <laughs>
0: So this is the final segment of the show, The Historic Foozle, and this week we're talking about The Replacements, who were an 80s rock band, and they are considered the pioneers of alternative rock. Um, And anyone who is a fan of The Replacements will perhaps know that they are well known for being... um, quite unpredictable as live performance acts is probably the nicest way to say it. Uh, And despite that, in the late 80s, SNL had them on the show as their musical act. It was actually, they they ended up being replacements for an act that was supposed to be on and canceled last minute. So it wasn't like they desperately wanted this band on. Uh, They turned up drunk. Well, they like got drunk in the change rooms. Then, before the show, they thought it would be fun to turn the amps up really loudly. Just cause, just cause. So, during the first song, the like all of the production crew and the technicians spent half the song trying to figure out what went wrong. Cause they did this like after the technical rehearsal. So, so I was running around like, what the fuck is going on? It was way too loud. Um, and then, because they were drunk, they like were forgetting their words the lead singer kept walking away from the mic so like the <laughs> lyrics were coming in and out but the thing that really did it was at one point the lead singer um mouthed come on fuckers to his band and swearing on SNL is not allowed unlike this this show so that that was quite quite bad and then after the song So there were the three, the three band members, because one of them was super drunk and didn't even come on stage. Two of them bowed and the other one did like a backwards somersault, but he had a huge tear in his trousers. Uh, And (laughs) and apparently his pants is like, like both his trousers and his pants were torn. I don't know, um, but ended up mooning the audience, which is also (laughs) not allowed on SNL. But then. It doesn't end here because they had to do two songs. So they went off stage at the end of that song. They found that the producer, the SNL producer wanted to talk to them and they thought they did a really good job. So they were ready for the <laughs> producer to be like, you are so great. We love you. And instead was like, I will make sure that you never perform on TV again. This was awful. They then went on and did the second the second song, which was equally bad. Went out, got drunk afterwards. And the next day, the producer had an $11,000 bill for damages to the hotel room that the band did after the show. And it was so bad. The replacements were with um, Warner Brothers. And it was so bad that the SNL producer was like almost banned any artist with the Warner Brother label from performing on SNL because he was so upset about it. (laughs) (laughs) So at least you weren't that bad. At least like you were a bit drunk and got kicked off stage, but it wasn't so chaotic that basically anyone that you were associated with was almost banned from (laughs) any kind of performance. No.
1: Although I would say we weren't, there's a band I would encourage anyone to listen to them. They called it Zeki and they're brilliant. And uh, we were over at South by Southwest in in Austin, Texas, doing a showcase there. And so we booked them for our showcase. And bef- like when I met them beforehand, they were like super quiet. These two cousins, like really nice chill guys. And then I was talking to one of the a guys from LA. And he's like, did you know that they got kicked out of their own showcase last night? I was like, why? Like, cause they tried to nick a load of the beer from behind the bar. I was like, okay, you know, bad move, but all right. Mm. Bear in mind, is you know, height of American weirdness. Like all the security guys are all nuts over there and stuff. Mm. So anyway, they came to play on our showcase, which is in this sort of like tiny 200 cap venue, which I had spent the whole day convincing fire marshals that we needed to let more people in. And it was, you know, it, it could do more, like fit more people in and stuff. It was like a pretty stressful day. Mm. So, he starts off really calmly, and I'm looking at the guy, like the other AR guy. I'm like, "This is all right, nothing to worry about here." The guy drops his guitar, runs off stage, picks up the ice um, machine thing, like you know the ones that are like full of water but got loads of ice cubes in them, like yeah, a, a water yeah, yeah. Thing, picks that up, so running across the stage. <laughs> it's just water flying everywhere, and, and then I look around and there's fire marshal just looking straight at me. I'm just like, "Oh shit." Um, but we thought that that was all right. Like we could do it with that. And then they are in, they're an English band. And so we had this big office when I was at Cobots, we booked them for a showcase in the office. Why you would go for a second time. I don't know. But like in the meantime, I've spoken to them loads and they're like really nice, cool guys. I was like, Oh, really? Well. I was like, so you're not going to fuck up our office are you? They? And they're like, no, nah, of course not. Of course not. So he comes on, takes his shirt off. He's got plasters across his nipples. Cause why wouldn't you? Um, <laughs> He's a runner. And- it's fine. Yeah. And then he drops his guitar again. I'm like, oh no, here we go. He runs over to the side, picks up loads of squeezable honey, because like the area where we showcase is next to our kitchen, and just starts like covering himself in squeezable honey. <laughs> And, and then <laughs> sorry, every time excuses me, and then runs back to his guitar, plays a little bit more music, and then like saunters over to this guy who's standing next to me, like grabs his face with these like honey hands, and then starts like, like, rubbing his face, picks up this glass of water next to him, sips the water, starts walking back to the stage, just lobs the glass, <laughs> yeah, it lands on the floor and explodes. <laughs> and he, you gotta imagine this is like although Although obviously we're a music company, this was like five o'clock on a Friday afternoon. So mm. it wasn't like, you know, raucous Woodstock feeling. There are all these people who've just finished work having one beer, just like quietly sipping their beer, just watching like this absolute <laughs> chaos unfold. And then when we finished, I went upstairs, took them to the roof, and we had a cigarette. And they're like, Is that all right?
0: We're like,
1: yeah. <laughs> um, but they, they are like, I, will, I definitely would advise you to listen to. They're a great band. Just maybe, Just don't, maybe bring don't bring them to your them. office. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, love, I love the idea of like, yeah, you asked me not to destroy the office. I did not destroy the office. Yeah. How do I do? Like, you're covered in yeah. honey.
1: <laughs> but imagine, imagine the moment of seeing like squeezable honey in front of you and <laughs> thinking, winner. This is exactly what I've like, you know, There's nothing else in front of me that is better than these two parts of squeezable honey.
0: That's, that's yeah. true. Like what was, what was going through his mind that he like was doing this show in an office and thought now that I have my shirt off and my nipples are covered. So I'm safe. What is, Do you that that? what is the next step? <laughs>
1: he made made sure he was like he saw the honey before the set i was like right well i need to cover my nipples first but then we're all good like then i can just get the honey that's the Um, only piece that needs to be that needs to be looked after (laughs) i mean that's the thing is and also their music isn't like it's not heavy it's like kind of pretty weird i don't know like lo-fi guitar-y chill out music is it's not the sort of music you expect like a raucous event to happen with. But mm. anyway.
0: Mm. That's so funny.
1: So, yeah, I think I mean they didn't get banned for life. They're not quite the replacements. But did the replacements have any squeezable honey? Because can you imagine the carnage would happen if they did?
0: I mean, I think if they had like the food cart near them, um, that could have been a lot worse.
1: Mm. Definitely.
0: Imagining... The only thing worse than squeezable honey is like those cans of whipped cream and just like suck like oh this is great like yes because because the thing with honey is it doesn't go off so if you try to clean no. up and you don't get everything it's just a bit sticky and you can like find the sticky bit when you're walking and then clean it but with dairy products it does yeah. go off and it goes off really fast
1: yeah there's a real danger of that, actually
0: mm.
1: yeah I don't envy the the poor people who cleaned our office <laughs> like. i mean i i i you know I always get the the beauty of having to clean up all this stuff, but I probably didn't do a great job <laughs> it's a main it's a mainstay of my job, like my old job where I used to have to run a lot of showcase events where something like sort of semi horrific would happen, <laughs> and I'd have to deal with it like we we ran we were lucky we had lots of a really big roof terrace and we ran parties up there for like kind of industry parties and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and i thought it'd be a really good idea because we built like a full stage rig on our roof um so we could have bands play and everything and i thought it'd be a really good idea because it would save money (laughs) to have uh like this big industry party uh we rented out to BBC Radio One and Radio Two, or whatever, on like some of the radios, so they so they could have a party, and then we had like this kind of like nice quiet drinks, and then we had the staff summer party over five days. Oh, so basically, all of my neighbours just got like this constant barrage of noise. And after the, the first, no, the second day, the first day we were okay. We got like a couple of complaints because the place where I used to work was surrounded by banks as well, so they weren't mm-hmm. the most fun people. But then, the, basically, the Radio 1 DJ smashed up the sound so loud that we got a noise complaint from the City of London. And so <laughs> I got a phone call from reception, uh, like, quarter to 11, just after we'd started closing everything down anyway, saying, just to let you know, there's an environmental officer down here to see you. And I was like, <laughs> uh, bear in mind that I haven't really had to run this party. I just had to be there. So I'd been drinking since 6 o'clock in the evening. Not, oh, I wasn't supposed to be a responsible human being at that point <laughs> and so I had to go downstairs and I walked downstairs and I was like, this is where I still smoked and so I like had a cigarette and he wasn't there and then he suddenly was just next to me so I kind of like freaked out threw my cigarette on the floor and then realised I'd just thrown a cigarette on the floor in front of an environmental <laughs> officer, and shoot. I was just like, that's fine isn't it? He went, yeah that's a hundred quid fine, I was like shit so I like picked up the cigarette and like ran to find a bin <laughs> got into the cigarette, came back and he went right. Are you you all good? Should we go upstairs? i like, yeah. He went, yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah. Let's go upstairs. Just let you know I'm recording this. Turned his video on, and I was like, oh god. <laughs> so then, I then had to take this guy around this like tour of our office and on you know, the roof and everything, and explain all of the equipment and how it was positioned and you know the different amp levels we'd had it at. Not in the best frame of mind and kind of half freaking yeah. out as well, knowing I was being filmed at the same time. Half an hour later, got downstairs, got, you know, got to the And he's like, um, as I was out like, good, he's like, yeah, thank you very much. Turned off his mic, uh, his camera. And then we stood there talking about techno to me for the next 30 <laughs> minutes. I'm like, you couldn't have been nicer to me when you were filming me.
0: <laughs> Love that he's like, he's like, okay, serious, Dan. Boop. Show me everything. You may go to prison. (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) and seriously, boop. Cool. So let's talk about Blue Monday.
1: Yeah. That was pretty much how it went. (laughs) But yeah, there you go. That's that's two little insights into my life and running showcases.
0: I love it. I love it. (laughs) So like what happened with the replacements? I mean, that that was basically your life for a few years, wasn't it?
1: I think, I mean, I think anyone who works in the music industry is going to have. Probably not so quite as severe as the replacements, but um it's an industry that mixes like heavy intoxicants with like adrenaline and live you know and a, and an audience, and there's always going to be and and also like the people that from not from necessarily from the exec side but from the creative side, like they tend to be quite, I'm using interesting as a loose term here, (laughs) interesting people, um, because they're really creative. And so they may be like slightly unhinged. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so you're basically mixing like alcohol and drugs and adrenaline and like the ability to want to perform with these people who are just mad, (laughs) basically.
0: Good times, good times. So the story, yeah. children, is yay to the music industry, but like watch, yeah. your, watch your consumption levels.
1: I was thoroughly, I would thoroughly encourage you to the music industry. I'm actually doing a, a week-long workshop for the Princess Trust soon to encourage young people to get into the music industry. And I'll uh-huh. probably not be telling them the same stories as I'm telling you.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Gareth. This has been Eye Opening and hilarious
1: okay well thank you very much for having me and (laughs) i'm sure this will be the end of my uh, podcasting career.
0: (laughs) (laughs) no you were great you were fine (laughs) if you want to hear any of gareth's djing you can find him on soundcloud saint romaine and also remember that he is a resident dj for soho radio and 1020 radio so you can check him out there i will put the links into the show notes If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us. Give us five stars. It helps other people find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to Foozled It so that you can get the latest episodes into your inbox on your phone as they come out. Thanks so much for joining and keep foozling it.